I'd like you to open your Bibles. I'm going to let you just uh, open to Deuteronomy, because that's probably one of the first passages we're going to look at and let you uh, find that spot. Put your finger in it, or maybe uh, your bulletin, because it'll take us a while to get there. <laughs> and uh, I want to talk to you this morning about the subject of friendship. Friendship. Having friends. Um... I mentioned in the eight o'clock service that, as most of you know, it's my it's my habit, long standing, to preach through a passage of scripture or through a book of the Bible in an expository manner, and that's what I uh, feel most comfortable doing. And yet, it seems like uh, several summers now, uh, it's been more of uh, having kind of a topical focus. Um, from one uh, issue to another, and particularly this summer, uh, it's been a real challenge for me as I have uh, gone through different things and uh, found some weeks uh, more conducive than others to kind of digging into deeper study. But um, as we have been approaching our backpack bash for this afternoon... I was reading the short stories that two of our people wrote for the benefit of children. Uh, Tina and Carissa both wrote stories, and those stories were oriented around the theme of friendship and friendship with God. And that is also a theme that has been on my heart uh, a good part of this year, and particularly in the last couple of months. And so I, I've been thinking about friendships and what it is to have good friendships and then uh, particularly to have friendship with God. So I found myself uh, gravitating in that area and as I was praying over it, uh, the Lord just kind of indicated to me that uh, I, want, I want you to say some things about friendships that are important from the Scripture. And so that's where we are this morning. You know, friendship is one of those things that is probably most sought after in a person's life. Everyone wants to have good friends, don't they? I mean, it's, it's, we, are, we are made by a relational God to have relationships. God designed us that way. No one is intended to be an island. No one is intended to be a recluse or off in a monastery by themselves somewhere, uh, shut up and never communicating with other people. God made us to be in relationship. Um, because God's concept in creating the human race was a family. And a family that would ultimately spend eternity in His presence as His family. And that's God's goal for us and His desire is that, that we be in relationship with Him all of eternity and uh, magnify uh, His own relational character. We worship a triune God. He is one God, but He exists uh, co-equally and eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who share that kind of friendship and communion. And so friendship is important to people. There's no question 
For those of you that have been parents or school teachers or whatever, there's no question that friendship in the lives of children and young people are probably the driving factor. Uh, frequently they override academics. <laughs> they, uh, they often override parents. Uh, they override a lot of other things in life because uh, children and young people are so driven by the need and desire to be accepted, to have friends, uh, to be in a group, to want to be a part of the, of the gang, so to speak. And I don't mean that in a negative sense. And yet, that is the source of a great deal of peer pressure. That is the source of peer pressure. Young people, children desire uh, this kind of fellowship and relationship. And in order to get it, they are often willing to do whatever the crowd is doing uh, in order not to be ostracized or put on the outside. Sometimes... Those are very, very costly choices that they make. But the powerful drive to have friends is, is huge. Friendship is the reason, at least in the West, and this isn't true all over the world, but at least in the, in the West, friendship is the most often cited reason for wanting to get married. People find another person and the opposite sex, I'm going to say that very clearly, <laughs> They find someone of the opposite sex, they want to marry them. And uh, they, they say, we are best friends. You know, that's how they define their relationship and why they want it to go on uh, forever in the deepest ways possible. And likewise, disappointment in friendship is often the reason for divorce or depression or other tragedies in a person's life and not just a marital failure uh, it may be the loss of a good friend um, you know in in some other context of life that brings a person to the point of despair when true friendship develops however it is one of life's greatest sources of joy and blessing and, uh, you know, when I think of the Scripture, if you, if you think about relationships and you think about friendship with God as being important to God and put it in that context, uh, the, God's quest, if you please, to recover what was lost in, in the breach of trust and relationship by Adam and Eve, His effort in redemption to recover what was lost is the story of a friendship that went off track and God is seeking to bring it back. And in that sense of the word, friendship is one of the major themes of the Bible, if not the major theme of the Bible. And so uh, friendship is huge because of the way God has designed us. Now, I've given you a definition for friendship in your notes. Uh, Roman numeral 1a, this is my definition. And maybe it says more about me than it says about anything else because it's what I think of when I think of friendship. But uh, in, the, the, in describing a friendship, for me it is a relationship with another person, first of all, based on the enjoyment of one another. 
I'm so glad that God did not tell us we had to like everybody. He told us we have to love everybody. And uh, loving them sometimes means uh, something other than liking them. <laughs> love can be uh, carried out in the absence of any affection. You, you may find that hard to believe if that's a new concept to you. But you can do for another human being what they need to have done for them if you don't even know them. Um, you know, years on the rescue squad took me into situations of going into people's lives I had never met before and doing things for them that they needed to be done because I cared about them. I could genuinely say I loved them and I wanted to see them come through that and do well. And sometimes it put uh, those of us on the squad at risk in order to render aid. But to say that you had a friendship with that person, you don't even know them. But you still you can love them. And so, uh, God didn't tell us that we had to like everybody, just that we have to love everybody. And even when you get to know people, the reality is, is that you know this from experience. You like some people more than you like other people. Um, you just gravitate towards some people. You can even look at Jesus in the circle of the twelve disciples and you can kind of pick out the, the tier levels of relationships within that group because Jesus prayerfully and carefully chose those twelve, including Judas. And yet, I think we can safely say that from the very beginning, Judas had some kind of other agenda. Uh, well, they all did, really, but Judas was way out there. And he never came around, and in the end, he ended up being a betrayer. But on the other side of the coin, if you look at how Jesus related to the twelve disciples, there were special occasions when he only drew three of them close to him uh, for the experience that they were about to have. Peter, James, and John. And I think we can say uh, relatively safely that Jesus was closer to Peter, James, and John than to the other nine. Now, I, that's kind of extra biblical information. You can challenge me on it, and I have no defense. But I'm basing it on the fact that Jesus picked those three many occasions. And then, at the Last Supper, um, we find that John is the one who is closest to Jesus at the Last Supper. Uh, some of the artist depictions, without unduly criticizing them, are a little strange because they have them sitting at a table and then John's kind of, you know, leaning over on Jesus like this. And that's not exactly the way that happened. They had low tables and they leaned on cushions. So everyone was leaning uh, with their feet away from the table and their uh, arms and face and elbows up to the table, you know, so that they could eat. And in that scenario... John was leaning against Jesus. And yet the Bible does say uh, that John was that disciple whom Jesus loved. And so there was a special connection there. And I find it interesting that John is the one who lived the longest, outlived all the others uh, till the end of the first century, essentially, and wrote the final words to the church as he wrote First, uh, Second, and Third John and Revelation that Jesus reserved the revelation for John. 
uh, to see and to experience. And so you see that in John. You see that in other relationships in the Bible. We often teach children about um, David and Jonathan. And uh, we talk about the friendship that David and Jonathan had. It was a great friendship. It was very close. And uh, even though Jonathan's father, Saul, uh, was often, uh, if he didn't like David immensely, he was trying to kill him. It was just constantly this crazy relationship. But David was very close with Jonathan constantly throughout their lives. And there was that kind of closeness. I think of Ruth and Naomi when I think of friendships. Um, You know, Ruth uh, was married to Naomi's son, He died. Naomi was going to go back to her people. And Ruth said, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to stay with you. I like being with you. I want to be with you. There was something more going on there in terms of friendship than a a typical mother-in-law, daughter-in-law relationship. They wanted to be together. And so Ruth went back with Naomi. And we find through the Scriptures a description and a depiction of those kinds of friendships. So, it's the enjoyment of each other. If you don't like somebody, you're not going to be a very good friend. you got to like them. You know, you got to like being together. you got to like talking and visiting and sharing life and, and having uh, fun together. If you don't like each other, you're not going to have... A good friendship. And you don't have to feel guilty about that as a follower of Christ. You're not going to like everybody the same, even though you better love everybody in this room. <laughs> you know, you better be committed to everybody in this room. You, you better be willing to die for anybody in this room. But you're going to want to spend your time with certain people in the room because you like them. And that's the first ingredient. It's also characterized by unconditional love. You know, the human relationship does not exist where disappointment has not occurred. We always will let one another down at times. Um, No matter what the reason, maybe you broke trust. Maybe expectations were just there that were not understood by both parties. There's all kind of reasons, but people will let you down from time to time. But a good relationship will weather the storms. You know, it will stand the test of time. And, And you will be able to come back together because of unconditional love and work through the issues and and come to terms. You know, and sometimes you just have to come to, to the fact that you agree to disagree. Um, I'm going to talk just a little bit a minute about walking in agreement. That doesn't mean you're always you always agree on everything, but it means the core values are the same. But sometimes you just hit those areas where you just can't get there yet together, and yet your unconditional love overrides those surfacey kinds of disagreements and preserves the relationship through them. Trust is a big issue in friendships. There has to be trust. In fact, the the, uh, proverb says uh, that a gossip or a slanderer breaks up close friends. 
You know, if you cannot guard what another person has entrusted to you, that friendship is not going to last. There has to be an ability to treasure the trust that another person has invested in you and to reciprocate with that kind of trust. And trust is a part of close friendships. Comfort, the ability to come to one another's consolation, to be there to, to render um, ease and help and encouragement, security, confidence, uh, knowing that you can rely on a person, and the uh, assurance of dependability. You know, um, a good friend is someone you can call at three in the morning if you need them. Don't try it every night. <laughs> that won't last long. Somebody's going to wear out. But they are the kind of person that you can call at three in the morning. And know that if you need them, they'll be there. A good friend is the kind of person that can come into your house when it's a disaster and not talk about you when they leave. And if they find that it's a disaster because you're just sick or exhausted or overwhelmed, they'll probably even pitch in and help you clean up. A good friend is the kind of person that takes you however and whenever they find you and loves you without criticism. It's it's that kind of relationship. And so um, there are some interesting scripture passages about friendships. I want to read some of them to you. Uh, oh, I, I said uh, just in passing, deep friendships last a lifetime and are seldom dimmed by distance or time. You know, once a deep and lasting friendship has been formed, um, oftentimes it survives distance and time and stays true throughout, uh, you know, the years because there's a bond there that, uh, that just survives. It sticks. Deuteronomy 13.6 is a kind of where we get the term soulmate from. <laughs> It's kind of an interesting passage, Deuteronomy 13.6. If you've got your finger there, like I suggested, you're already there. If your brother, your mother's son, or your son or daughter, or the wife you cherish, or your friend who is as your own soul. Your friend who is as your own soul. The Scripture recognizes that friendships, some friendships, go deep uh, and become like your own soul. They're so close. Um, in fact, uh, when I uh, met Hector and got to know him after a bit, he uh, told me a Spanish phrase that expresses that concept. It's hermano del alma. And that means a brother after my soul, or brother from my soul. Um, it means that you share that same inner kind of uh, thinking and, and feeling and pursuit and goals and heart, and that you're on the same page. It's very interesting in the context, because the context here is a context of idolatry, 
And what God is actually saying through Moses in this passage is, if your brother, your mother's son, your daughter, your wife, you cherish your friend or whatever, entice you to go after and worship other gods, you are to take them to the assembly and stone them to death and you are to throw the first rock. Whoa, that's pretty harsh. But God was pretty intent on the fact that friendship with Him is more important and loyalty and commitment to Him. And in in those days, the purity of Israel uh, superseded even the marriage relationship and your closest friendships. Uh, the, the truth of the matter is, Israel never practiced that really. And as a consequence, they were carried away by idolatry frequently. But the Scripture recognizes that kind of friendship. Job 6.14 is a fascinating passage. I'd like you to turn there. That's in the middle of your Bible, or pretty close to it. Um, Job 6.14. I'm going to begin reading in verse 8. Um, this is, a, like I say, it's an interesting passage. Job has just had all of these terrible things happen to him. And he's broken out in boils, and he's got all kinds of issues, and he's, uh, he's uh, in misery, and uh, his wife has not been very helpful. She said, why don't you just curse God and die? And uh, all of his kids uh, were killed in the storm, and, and everything is just a disaster in his life. And uh, he has these three friends that have been his lifelong friends. They're going to come and see him, and they're not very helpful. Listen to what he says. If you ever felt this way, by the way, oh, that my request might come to pass, that God would grant my longing, that God were willing to crush me, <laughs> that He would loose His hand and cut me off. In other words, Job's saying, I just wish I could die and I want God to just deal with me. Just kill me. Get it over with. Um, that's desperate, by the way, when you reach that point. And in the midst of it, he says, But it is still my consolation, and I rejoice in unsparing pain, that I have not denied the words of the Holy One. In other words, he says, But I am grateful that I have not blasphemed against God or denied His Word. I have kept true to His Word. But then listen to this. What is my strength that I should wait? And what is my end that I should endure? Is my strength the strength of stones? Are my flesh bronze? Is it that my help is not within me, that deliverance is driven from me? What he's asking here is, and he's talking to his friends, he says, what do you think? I mean, look at me. What do you think, I'm made out of stone? You think my skin is bronze? You think I don't have any feelings? You think I'm unbreakable? What's with you guys? That's, that's what Job is asking. And then he gives this revelatory statement. <clears throat> he said, For the despairing man, there should be kindness from his friend, lest he forsake the fear of the Almighty. In other words, he says, when you have a good friend and you're in dire straits, you should experience kindness from them. And encouragement to keep pursuing the Lord. 
I don't need this bombardment that these guys are bringing. Good grief. In fact, he says, my brothers have acted deceitfully like a wadi. You know what a wadi is in the desert? It's a a shallow depression where the water will collect. Um, He says, my brothers have acted like a wadi. It's kind of like a mirage. He says, I went there for fresh water, and all I got was hot sand. Ever get a mouthful of sand? Yeah, you can almost never get that out, especially if you don't have any water. Just grit. Ugh. You know, that's what he said. You guys are just like, man, I thought you were going to bring me a refreshing drink, and what you brought me was just dirt. And I am exhausted. Now, that does not uh, mean that a good friend will not speak truth to you. In fact, the Scripture says that the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. And sometimes it is your dearest friend that will speak the truth to you. You know, stop feeling sorry for yourself. Uh, get up off of that bed and stop, you know, trust God, whatever it is, it, that, that they will speak truth to you. And the Scripture says those wounds are better than the kisses of an enemy. Uh, when a good friend who loves you challenges you, but by the same token, from that friendship should come kindness, kindness to the friend, to be true to God and to stay the course. Proverbs seventeen seventeen says, a friend loves at all times. And Proverbs ten twenty four says, a friend sticks closer than a brother. Good friends, oftentimes, especially if they know the Lord and your family doesn't, good friends are more uh, intimate with you, closer to you than your own family. It's sad that that's frequently the case, but if you grew up in an unbelieving family and they're not following the Lord and you've turned to Jesus Christ and He's your Lord and Savior Um, you're going to have a hard time being close with your family. They're not going to understand you. They're not going to connect with your decisions, your values, your goals. And you will find that good friends within the family of God will be closer to you than family. But Proverbs says there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Amos 3.3 says, How can two people walk together unless they be in agreement? I think it's a new NIV that says, How can they walk together unless they have an appointment? I'm not sure where that translation came from. That's a little odd. Uh, But the word does mean, uh, in our vernacular, we say on the same page. How can two people walk together unless they share the same core values, unless they have the same uh, deep longings of their heart, unless they're moving in the same direction? How can they have fellowship on the path? You have to build friendships with those who in their heart of hearts, long for the same things. You may have different talents. You may have different aptitudes. You may have different ways of going about it. You may have different careers. You may be going, uh, you know, in different ways to, to, to move through your life. But the friendship is based on the fact that the core is related. And speaking of that, as a consequence, the Scripture says, what friendship has a believer with an unbeliever. 
My second major point is the kind of friendship that I'm talking about is a friendship that is not possible to have with someone who is not a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, (coughs) I want to be clear about that and, and touch some high spots, both the negative and the positive. We are warned... Well, James 4.4 4 says friendship with the world is enmity with God. And it is impossible. It is impossible to follow Jesus with all your heart and have an intimate relationship with an unbeliever. It cannot be done. One of two things will happen. Either One of two things is true. Either you're not following Christ. And therefore, you're able to have fellowship because you're on the same page and it's not after God. Or, number two, you have made a big mistake and down the road, you're going to part ways. Down the road, there's going to be division. And you're either going to live with attention or you're going to find failure in the relationship. The scripture says, what fellowship has light with darkness? And so there, there are a number of areas where believers cannot, cannot, cannot get in relationships with unbelievers. Marriage, business, contracts, uh, shared financial uh, plans and arrangements, you, you can't do it because you have different values. You have different goals. And those are going to come out. And in due season... They're going to wreck the relationship. And if you find that you're completely compatible with an unbeliever, then you have to examine your own relationship with God. Because the Scripture says, what fellowship has Christ with the devil? How can you have a fellowship between light and darkness? Listen, if you're a follower of Christ, you're walking in the light. If this other person is not a follower of Christ, they're in the darkness. And there is no... Connected. There's no gray in that context. You're either in the light or you're in the dark, and you cannot walk in the gray. There's no way to do that. And so the Scripture warns us, do not develop relationships that move toward uh, business partnerships or intimacy with people who are not followers of Jesus Christ because they are destined for disaster. They will not survive. They're, they're going to, you're going to be in trouble. And you're going to find yourself one day uh, in a business relationship, a partnership, where your partner wants to do something that your conscience will not allow you to do. And it may cost you all of your investment and everything you've done. You may have signed a contract in such a way that he can take you to the cleaners and own you if you don't go along. And you're either going to have to compromise your values or you're going to have to lose because you made a commitment to someone who is not on the same page with you in core values. The Scripture warns of that. And and if you have intimate friendship with unbelievers, you have to examine where you are. Because the Scripture says it's not possible. Now, On the other side of the coin, I am not saying that we cannot love deeply those who do not know Christ, value them as people made in God's image, treat them with respect and dignity, and be kind and helpful and interested in their lives. 
I don't know what it is about Christians, but somehow we get the idea that coming out from the world means we've got to hate everybody out there. And there's nothing that says that. People, every human being on the planet is made in the image of God. Everyone has something in them to commend them uh, to the character of God. They have some aptitude, some gifts, some ability. Yes, they're sinners. Yes, they're broken. So are you, by the way. You're just redeemed. And, and you're on the way to getting fixed. But they're not. They're broken. And yet they're, they're beautiful because God made them. And we must have a different kind of friendship. Not the deep, intimate friendship I've been talking about. But in terms of cordial relationships and friendships with people who do not know Christ. Because if you don't have those friendships, you are never going to see them come to Christ. Tim Westergren puts it this way, we have to build bridges of trust that will bear the weight of truth. And I have a number of relationships that I have cultivated with unbelievers. Intentionally cultivated with unbelievers. I picked an area that I enjoy, and they share the same interests. That gives us a common meeting point. And, and I build relationships. And I have a goal. My goal is to see them come to know Jesus Christ. I want to see them be saved. Now, that doesn't mean I'm using them. It means I love them to the utmost. And, and friends, listen, if you're just trying to get another notch in your evangelism gun, people can smell you coming. They will react to you and run from you. They can smell it. If you don't love them, they know it intuitively. They sense it. That you have another agenda. You've got to be real. But by the same token, uh, there has to be... A valuing and a respect for their person with the awareness that it can never be intimate until they come to Christ because you are in different kingdoms. You know, and, and I have some of these friendships that there come occasions in our conversation where we reach a point and I just have to say, I don't agree with that. Now, my prayer is that I will build enough of a relationship that when I come to that first point where I have to disagree, that already the bridges of trust are being developed so that they will respect me. And then as time goes along, that, that goes on. Sometimes God gives you just like lightning bolt, uh, miraculous deliverance and somebody comes to Christ. But if you're building a relationship... Uh, oftentimes that takes a while. It has been very interesting to me during this uh, year when I have had so many physical and health difficulties that, you know, I have uh, had to bow out of responsibilities in other areas and explain to people why I can't do things that, um, you know, I was uh, scheduled to do and whatever. And in the course of doing that, sharing that with some of my buddies in the microscope realm and, and things like that, you know, that they, they all have been very interested in concern. They've written me. They've expressed their concern for me. I can't tell you how many people have said they're praying for me. 
I don't know who they're praying to, but they're praying for me. And I have one dear friend who's a Jewish atheist. He's a cultural Jew and, a, and, and an atheist. And um, he says, I'm pulling for you. <laughs> I'm, I'm wishing you the best. All right, wish on, you know, I'll take that, you know, whatever. That's fine with me. But I love the man. I respect him. I cherish him. I value him. But I can't pray with him. I can't bear my heart to him. I can't talk about my Jesus with him. Because he doesn't know my Jesus. He doesn't know the living God. There can never be intimacy. Because what's most important in my life is totally rejected in his. And we can never, ever be on the same page in the most important dimension of who I am. And so you have to recognize that at the end of the day, as much as you genuinely love other human beings, at the end of the day, when there is not a shared relationship with Jesus Christ, you cannot have a deep and abiding uh, intimate friendship. Those friendships that we've been talking about build with other people. You know, God wants to have those kind, a, a deep friendship with us, but there are some significant differences. Let me just touch them quickly. There's a significant difference between our friendship with other human beings and our friendship with God. A lot of the qualities are the same. Listen to Abraham, watch Moses, you know, these ones who were specifically called God's friend. Daniel, I think, qualifies certainly. John, look at their lives. But recognize this. There are some things about our friendship with God that can never be like another person. God is sovereign. He's always in control. And He's always right. He's always right. Never does He call it wrong. You, know, you can't ever say to God, you know, I, let's run this by, let's run over this again. I don't think you understood me. <laughs> it's like, no, I don't think you understand yourself, because I know your thoughts before you even think them. He's always right. God is holy. He's the King of kings, ruler of the universe, maker of heaven and earth, and us. What a marvelous privilege to be friends with the one who made us. But don't forget He made us. We are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. He it is who has made us and not we ourselves. God always does what is best for us and truly loves us unconditionally. Did you know that there is never a time, never a thing, never anything that you can ever do that will so take God by surprise that He will stop loving you? We may wear out even our dearest friends. We may put them to the test one time too many. But you'll never wear out God. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Father, thank you that you have uh, been willing to call us friends. 
to redeem us and to bring us into relationship with you. Let us not forget that you are the holy God who made us. And it is an awesome privilege to walk with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.